0: Welcome. Welcome to our Pulse tonight. I'm keeping this out because I um, was at a church down in London, Kentucky today, and, and the pastor there was preaching, and I always keep my notes on this. And he said some things that I thought, wow, that just really is in line with what the Lord was speaking to me about as I anticipated. Thank you. As I anticipated um, sharing with you this evening. And, and there's just a, a couple of things that I want to share with you, and I, and I think we're going to see about making some room for the Lord. We're going to make some room for the Lord. And so, it's just like, Lord, what do you want to do? Um, In our lives this evening. As we gather together, we do so to to testify to Jesus. We do so to worship God, our Father, in Jesus' name. But but we gather together because we want God to touch us. We want God to reach in and touch our lives. And and, and this is why. And I love this, what Pastor Scott said um, this morning um, in church. He said, there's more to this, meaning Christianity, there's more to this than getting born again and coasting. There's more to this than just getting born again and baptized and saying, okay, I'm in. That's not what it's about. It's about walking with Jesus and being in a relationship with Jesus. And I love, he he went on to say, when it gets too easy... And when it gets too good, and when you are tempted to forget God, I want you to remember those in the wilderness. He was speaking out of um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and he was was talking where, you know, Paul told um, the church in Corinth, remember those that didn't stay true to God. And I think we're in a tough time because it's really easy for us to get dry inside. It's really easy for us to think that walking with Jesus and and being involved in our salvation is all about just kind of going through the motions. And it's not. It's not about going to church. It's not about, I mean, it includes getting baptized. It includes um, testifying. But it's an ongoing relationship. When I got married in 1983, I didn't just go to the ceremony. I didn't go to the ceremony and get married and then say, okay, I'm married, and then just walk away from her and then be gone. I was in a relationship with her where I saw her when I woke up, and I saw her when I came home from work, and we went and did things on the weekend, and we had fun, and we talked. And listen, God likens his relationship to you and I in the book of the Song of Solomon or Song of Songs He likens that to this kind of a relationship, a romantic relationship where we are um, always in touch with each other. other, But then you've got to ask yourself, but then why is it that we get dry inside? Why is it that, you know, life becomes commonplace or um, um, we become bored with life? We don't want to just be bouncing from um, one adrenaline fix to the next adrenaline fix to the next adrenaline fix. That's not what we're called to. We're called to be faithful. And sometimes just being faithful with my wife has nothing to do with the romantic feelings. I'm not saying that they're not there, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't enjoy that. I'm just saying there's some times when you're walking together, holding hands, but there's really nothing romantic going on. You're just walking together. You're doing life together. And then when you choose to buy the flowers, to write the poem, to do the little special thing you know, for your spouse, suddenly you find that, oh yeah, I've got that little feeling in there again. It's stirring up. It feels good. I like that little feeling. Um, it, it, it makes me really look forward to a present. God wants to walk with us on a regular basis. It's not a, about the highs. It's about consistency. When you read the, the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3, and you look at the seven churches, you begin to see that, that the, the Lord says to the churches, he said to the, to the angel of the churches or the pastors of the churches, he said, listen, you've got this, you've got this, you've got this, and you've got this, but listen, I need to talk to you guys because you let this keep going on. See, you didn't keep your fervor. You didn't like, you know, continue to stay in relationship with with God. And and there's a place there where we need to remember that God is faithful to us. We've got to begin to ask what it is that's going on. And when I was thinking about this pulse, the, the Holy Spirit just drew me to this passage right here in the book of Luke in chapter 23. And and I'm going to read it from this, but it's going to come up up there. Um, And it's there. Now, you know, I know we're past Easter and we've gone through all this stuff, but I want to talk for whatever reason, I was thinking about this pulse, and I want to talk about the two other guys that were there hanging with Jesus and how dry our souls get sometimes. You know, I was sharing the communion that we're going to share here in a little bit. I share it with the, the worship team. And it's the same thing. I've been, I've been sharing communion for 28 years now. You know, and, and, and you can only say it so many different ways, right? It gets really common. But, but Jesus said, um, it, it, as, uh, as often as you do this, remember. And it's like, okay, it's not supposed to be a different high, a different witty way of saying it. It's just time to stop and say, we need to focus on Jesus for a second, take a couple of minutes, it doesn't have to take hours, to remember what Christ endured for us, did for us, and accomplished for us, and then move forward. Well, the same thing is true with our Christian lives. Sometimes we just kind of get in that that rut, and we're looking for God to give us a fix, a spiritual fix when what God is saying is, can we be consistent? Can we stay at it? Can we persevere? Over and over and over again, it says in the, in the book of Revelation, but if you persevere, but if you don't fall away, there's an if in there. And we don't often hear preachers preach about an if in there. And I'm not saying you should live in fear of your salvation, but our salvation should cause us, Paul says, to live it out, to work out our salvation, to allow it to work itself through us. It should change us. We sang that we can't be the same. We're forever changed. That should never stop happening. Look at this scripture in here, and I want to talk about these two guys hanging on a cross with Jesus. It says, two other men, in Luke chapter 23, and verse 32, it says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him, being Jesus, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes up by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved other people. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Prove it. We want to see you prove it. And there was written a notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Then save yourself and save us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Now get the picture. They're talking over Jesus. He says he rebuked him. He said, since we are, uh, the other uh, criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, We are punished justly. We are punished justly. For for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him and said, I tell you today the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise and so you've got this picture of Jesus coming out you know it's it's what we would call Good Friday he's being crucified um, he's being drugged out because evidently they collect up a couple of criminals together so that they're not just wasting all their time on one evidently I don't know but then they they crucify one criminal on the one side one criminal on the other side and Jesus in the middle and if you believe everything that you ever been taught the cross in the middle was way higher than all the other two because that's the way it should be, right? I mean, you know, it's the Lord. So, they didn't know it was the Lord. He was just another criminal as far as they were concerned. And they crucified him between those two criminals. And the one criminal starts talking smack to him. The people in front of him, the the church people in front of him, start talking smack to him. Well, let's see it. Come on. You saved everybody else. Come on down here. Get off that cross. Let's see where your power is. You say you're the son of God. I don't know what all they said, but the scripture is clear. They kept mocking him. And then one of the criminals joined in. And he started saying, get us off this, uh, this, this cross if you're the Christ. Save yourself and save us while you're at it, by the way. Let's see it. And then the other criminal entered into the conversation. And I like him. I wish I could be him in the story. I really do. I wish I could be him. He's the one that looks over and says, hey, you, over there. I don't know if they knew each other. I don't know if they pulled a job together, you know, robbed the first bank of Jerusalem or something. I don't know why, but, but they, they got the sentence of death. They were being killed. Here's the difference. Jesus was being nailed to the cross they themselves would have been tied to the cross, and had it not been for a Sabbath, they would have been left up there until they suffocated to death from the ropes that held them up there with their, their uh, shoulder blades coming out of socket and not being able to get their own breath. It would have been a long, long, long period, but instead they, they took the, the, the normal um, habit of going through and breaking the people's legs so that they would die a little faster. They would bleed out. They would hemorrhage. They would go into shock, but, but they were hanging on the cross. Jesus Jesus, on the other hand was nailed on the cross to fulfill scripture for you and I and so one one criminal who's tied onto the cross whose legs are not broke yet is looking over saying hey you shut up we're getting what we deserve this guy didn't do anything two guys on the cross one as prideful And arrogant as a human being can be knowing full do you think that he knew that he was a criminal do you think that he knew that he was a sinner sure he did he got caught and they put him on a cross and he still is arrogant enough to say listen if you're the son of God get us all off this let's do some of your stuff let's go make it happen where's your plan let's do this thing And then there's one guy that says, we deserve this. We deserve this. Stop and think about that statement for a second. Jesus is hung on a cross, but we, you and I, we deserve this. We have done nothing that should impress God so much that he should spare us from hell, from the wrath of God. And yet all of the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus instead. And so we're going to be, we're going to find ourselves in this picture. We're going to be one of two thieves. We're going to be a thief hanging on a cross going, come on, Lord. You said that if I said I would follow you, you'd make my life come up rainbows and sunshines. Let's go. Let's do this thing. How come you're not giving me what I want? Or we're going to find ourselves over here saying, Lord, I'm getting everything that I deserve. But if you could have mercy on me and just forgive me, I would really appreciate that. He didn't ask to get down. He simply said, Lord, I want to be with you. And I love that Jesus said, hey, you'll be with me today in paradise. Now, if I can just wax theological for just a split second, Okay. Jesus is going to die, but it's not until he's raised from the dead and goes home till he ascends into heaven that anybody can go to heaven. So when David died, David did not go to heaven. When Moses died, Moses did not go to heaven. None of these people pre-Jesus could go to heaven because the price had not been paid for them. The blood of bulls and goats, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, can never take away the sins of man. So where were they? in paradise the same paradise that jesus talked about when he told the parable about a poor man named lazarus that laid in front of the gate of a rich man and when that uh, that lazarus when he died he went to abraham's bosom paradise and the rich man went to the lake of fire and the proximity was enough that jesus said they were talking back and forth across that the scripture will tell us from isaiah that when jesus rose from the dead that he led captivity captive in his train The Scripture will tell us that he went down and preached to those who died in the days of Noah. And again, led them out that were righteous because they were willing to believe. They were looking for the Christ. One thief joined with the world and hurled insults. And we're going to see this more and more and more. I see people on social media being put in timeout jail or whatever they call it now. For uh, one person said he got put in time out because he said there was no other way into heaven except through jesus and that became hate speech now listen we don't need to throw rocks at people as christian people we have not been given permission to do that we've been given permission to extend an invitation to lost people okay sinners will sin that's what they do you you got to be okay with that and i mean not okay like okay let's sin not that okay you got to be okay like okay They're sinning because they're sinners. Here's the problem. The church is starting to look like that. And that has to stop. Because it may look like that, but Jesus isn't putting up with it. He's like, no, no. One thief joined with the world and hurled insults. And you're seeing the attack on Christianity globally. Here's the crazy part. Through this past year, we've seen Christians going after each other. I have come to set a father against a son a father-in-law against a son-in-law a mother against a daughter a mother-in-law against a daughter-in-law I've not come to bring peace but a sword Jesus said and it's going to get it's going to get obvious and so while Jesus gives us peace in our lives it creates turmoil in the outside and you say then how can Jesus say this and this is why because you know what happens when somebody becomes a christian the people around them begin to say oh you think you're better than us and there it is there it is i'm not better than anybody i'm just forgiven but my forgiveness calls me away from sin which shines a light on the sin around me which causes people to feel like well I don't want to be a sinner. And in church, it causes people to say, well, at least I'm not that bad. And Jesus talked about that. Jesus said that, you know, there were two guys, and one was on his face saying, Lord, have mercy upon me, I'm a sinner. And the other was a Pharisee saying, well, at least thank you, God, that I'm not that bad. See, it's so easy for you and I to go from the cross on the left side of Jesus and to move over to the cross on the other side of Jesus. On the one side of Jesus, we're saying, Lord, have mercy on me. I deserve it. Thank you for my forgiveness. And we surrender our life to Jesus. But if we're not careful, if we become complacent, if we let our Christianity and our relationship be about getting baptized instead of following Jesus... We move ourselves without even knowing it to the other cross where we're like, well, Lord, I've been following you for 15 years and I'm still waiting. What are you waiting for? He saved your soul. Would that not be enough? I would say that you and I have a a more difficult time than these two men on the cross, and this is why. This is why. Because we don't know when we're going to die, right? I don't know if I have to be a good Christian for 24 hours. I don't know if I have to be a good Christian for 24 days. I don't know if I have to be a good Christian for 24 years. But those poor schmucks, that one surrendered his life to Jesus and he only had hours and he knew it. I think it would be easier to follow Jesus if I knew the day that I was going to leave this planet. If I knew when I was going to die, I think it would be easier because I would keep looking at that date and I would keep thinking, no, hang on, persevere, do not fall away, don't let, don't drift from your theology, don't do that. It would be easier to say, Lord, I'm hanging on, I got two more years and I'm coming home, God. But that's not us. We're Kenny Chesney people, right? Lord, I want to come, but not now. Huh? Not now. That's kind of, I mean, we're practical heathens, you know? I mean, just to be honest with you, we kind of struggle after a number of years to keep our relationship fresh. When we should be saying the goal of Christianity is going home and hearing our dad say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And it's at the point that we are not afraid of dying. And please don't tell me you're not. It's the point at which we're not afraid of dying that we can live. And one writer of the scripture says, Paul, says, this will be a testimony to people that something has happened in our lives. Why aren't you afraid of dying? Because we're gonna gonna go home. It's gonna be okay. Yeah, but, okay, that's the evidence that there's still some fear there I've gotta wrestle with. You look back to the 1500s and you see people saying, sign me up, send me home. And I mean, it wasn't just like they fell over dead. They were being drawn and quartered and put in burlap bags tied with rocks and thrown in the river drowned because of their faith and we don't have that kind of persecution anymore and yet we still struggle to keep our relationships fresh the one thief watched and he listened and he stood against the tide of humanity and i find myself as one of those two guys and I find that Jesus talks about that kind of black and white Christianity when he says, the time's gonna come, I'm gonna separate the goats and the sheep. I'm just gonna do it. And there's not gonna be any sheeps. There's not gonna be any shoats. There's gonna be goats and there's gonna be sheep. And, and it's gonna be a thing. And so we're gonna find ourselves one place or the other. the the one thief hanging on the cross had a right understanding of his predicament. A right understanding can lead to a right action. When I understand the rightness of my my place and my relationship to God, then, then I understand it leads me into right actions. When I recognize myself as a child of God, then I began to say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I don't need to be a part of this. I don't have to do that. I, I, I'm going to continue to press into my understanding that I'm a child of God." But sometimes there's places in our lives where we've got a wrong understanding. You and I are not going to get what we deserve. Blessed is a man whose sins the Lord does not count against him. The psalmist said, "That's us." Thank you, Jesus. But repentance has to be an ongoing lifestyle for us. And then we've got to recognize that I'm not any better than the other person. And I need to have more grace from them. The second thing I want to share with you real quick is right actions can lead to a right reward. Yeah, the thief on a cross. The right understanding led to a right action, led to a right reward. Wait a minute, I'm getting what I deserve, huh? Hey, you hush, Lord, let me repent to you. And then that day, he got to be with Jesus. In one day, this guy got saved. He went to paradise. And on that weekend, he spent the weekend in paradise. Okay, for real? And then he got to go to heaven after Jesus did what about that right actions can lead to a right reward Jesus's own brother said submit yourselves then to God resist the devil and he will flee from you come near to God and he will come near to you wash your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double-minded grieve mourn and wail change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom that's pretty depressing stuff right there but um it really is hopeful okay and this is where it is Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Hang it on the cross. Humble yourself and say, Lord, I'm getting what I deserve. And I don't deserve any better. But if you will, I just need you to save me. We're called to submit, resist, come near, wash, and humble. We recognize our position as a consequence of our actions. And yet the scripture says that if we will humble ourselves, if we will go the, to that right action, it leads to a right reward. Peter tells us that our attitudes, whoops, there it is, can be the thing that hinders our walk with God. You ever think about that? Can something hinder your prayers to God? Yeah, it really can. Listen to this. Husbands, in the same way, with your uh, as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner. Uh, heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing hinders your prayers you know your prayers can be hindered it really can be hindered there are things that keep your prayers from leaving your room and you're saying god why aren't you answering my prayer (laughs) and god says hey i'm waiting on you i'm waiting on you to move from one cross to the other that's what he's waiting on The one thief is looking at hell. The other thief is looking at paradise and then heaven. The prayer that you and I are waiting on right now may well be waiting on you and I to humble ourselves before God. Can I give you a word from the Lord today? Humble yourself. Resist the devil. Come near to God. Repent. And be Humble. What's my position before God right now? What's my position? Not are you without sin or with sin, or, but honestly. We are seeing so many people that have decided um, that, you know, coming back to church is not that important. That's a reflection of our heart. Don't know what to do for you back there. That's a reflection of our heart and what's going on inside. It's what we refer to as a drifting. Paul calls it a drifting. See? It's important for us to stay at it, to protect that which we received with the laying on of hands when we got saved. It's important for us to persevere. When it's easy for us to roll over on our pillow, when it's easy for us to mock and, and to tell God he's not doing it right, when it's easy to move from the humble cross to the arrogant cross, We have to begin to look at what's going on inside of our own lives. When we we just see the negativity instead of the positive things that are already going on in our lives. Look at what God has already done in answer to your prayers. And how often do we spend time saying, God, I need to to back up and thank you for this again. I just wanna thank you. But we focus more on what we need him to do yet. Maybe we need to get back over on this other cross, where we become children of the Most High God. I just want to encourage you in that. Where do you find yourself in that story? Because God doesn't want you to coast, just like Pastor Scott said this morning, he does not want you to coast. He wants you in a vital relationship, and a vital relationship is not somewhere else and it certainly isn't staying home and i understand that that you know staying home is is appropriate for some people for their health but it's like somebody told me once it's like staying home has become the new handicap parking spot a lot of people are using that aren't supposed to (laughs) okay we've been called to come back together as a church work things out chase after jesus together and do things but sometimes our souls get dry We move from a healthy understanding of where we are to an unhealthy standing of what it is that we want. God needs to do this. And so I want to encourage you that there's a place for you and I to humble ourselves before God. There's a place for you and I to stop and say, God, I need you to touch me today. That's all I need. You be God. Let's come before the Lord in prayer fathers we come before you right now we thank you and we praise you for your word we thank you for these two thieves as, as examples to us we thank you for your warning in second corinthians to consider those that have gone before us consider those back in the day that came through the 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 parting of the red sea and through the desert and into the promised land consider those that have gone before us not because you're threatening us but because you don't want us to fall away You want us to be mindful that it is possible for us to not persevere to the end according to your words in Revelation. You are speaking to the church then, Lord. So I come before you and I say, God, we need this revival that we sang about. We need this stirring in our soul. Holy Spirit, we don't need to grieve you. We need to be moved by you. And so we say, come we thank you and we praise you for who you are in our lives we thank you for our salvation as we bow our heads God I just ask your forgiveness for our sins for my sins forgive me for becoming complacent at times God when you've called me to fan into flame that which I received from the people that have prayed for me in the beginning thank you God for your love call us into the work that you've called us to. Hear us as we cry out to you tonight, Jesus' name.